and welcome to our latest episode of Healthcare Checkup Podcast put on by Browse McDowell's Healthcare Practice Group. My name is Nicole Thorne and I'm a healthcare attorney in the firm. I'm joined today by James McCauley from AtNet Plus and wanted to talk with you a little bit today and share some insight and guidance from a technical perspective with respect to HIPAA security risk assessments and namely to address a fairly recent law that was signed by the president in January that gives covered entities a little bit of extra credit, if you will, when it comes to any type of penalty or investigation involving HIPAA breaches when the covered entity is utilizing what the law now defines as a recognized security practice. And this is going to be a little bit of a technical discussion in full disclaimer, but at the same time, we also encouraged at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, our clients to really revisit their HIPAA security practices. Um, It should be part really of your compliance program anyway, but in light of last year, uh, particularly with regard to the um, extreme uses of telehealth for patient care during the pandemic, and also just remote work from home type practices that many healthcare entities implemented just in dealing with the pandemic, it really is cause for more attention from our healthcare clients um, as you look to be compliant with your security risk assessment and your overall um, compliance program. So James is a technical development manager at AtNet Plus here in Ohio. He has about 15 years of experience and worked in many different capacities from management to security, and as well as extensive experience with particularly HIPAA security standards. Um, And for those of us who deal in technical world, PCI DSS, uh, which we associate often with credit card transaction security, and he has assisted in various security policy making for many small businesses and medical offices. So welcome, James. Thank you for having me. Sure. So we wanted to talk a little bit today, as I mentioned, about really um, the overlap um, between what we do as a, as a law firm and provide legal guidance. Obviously, we're focused on, on medical entities being compliant with HIPAA. Um, And there's a very specific component of the security risk assessment that involves the technical safeguards in place. And I know a lot of our clients um, use the HHS's um, security risk assessment tool, which is available for free on the HHS website. And that tool even sort of breaks down the list of questions you should ask yourself um, with respect to administrative, physical and technical safeguards and, and really here today on this podcast episode, we wanted to just delve in a little bit deeper with respect to the technical safeguards um, and some of the requirements and questions that a practice will look at. So maybe we can start off by you just telling us what does AtNet Plus normally do when they engage with medical offices on this component of a security risk assessment? <clears throat> Typically how this is brought to our attention is we'll have a client that's a medical officer, a hospital, or <clears throat> a smaller doctor's office that will call us and they're trying to get uh, HIPAA compliant. Uh, there may have been some breaches in the past or maybe they just don't feel they're up to standards or they haven't reviewed their standards in a couple of years. Uh, they'll contact us and ask that uh, 
we'll take a look at their environment and make sure all of their policies, practice, and equipment can be HIPAA compliant. And if we need to uh, make any changes to their workflow or their environment, then that's what we will recommend that they do. Uh, based on this HIPAA security risk assessment. Now, there are a lot of things in here. There are like, you know, 40 technical questions in here. And while every medical office tries their best to, you know, comply to every standard that HIPAA has, obviously, there are some controls in place where they sometimes cannot do that. And then there's some security compensation that they would have to do to, uh, to comply. So when you're doing that, James, and I just want to sort of pick on a couple things, because I, I know in my own experience, a lot of our clients use um, basically remote cloud-based platforms, right? So their practice mm-hmm. management system, their EMR, uh, and their mm-hmm. email, right, might be hosted, if you will, by a third party. And so when you come in and do these things, I think a lot of practices think then that they don't need to comply or it's limited because someone else, if you will, is, is handling those types of issues. Mm. But what, what do you normally do um, when you come into an office, especially if they have those types of remote platforms? I mean, what else are you looking at that you find meaningful and, and impactful in this technical assessment? Right. Um, remote uh, administration of like an EHR platform uh, is great. Uh, it gives you a lot of security on that end um, that you don't have to worry about on premises or in your environment. Uh, however, that can cause people to be a little bit lax in their environment with how they handle um, personal health data. Um, so we have to make sure if we're using these cloud platforms that we're not actually taking anything from these cloud platforms and saving them locally. Because if you're saving uh, patient identifiable information locally, then that could be a HIPAA compliance issue. Um, especially if it's easy, easily accessible on the network. If uh, somebody, if it's in a public space in the environment that somebody could look at, uh, that could present a, a major security issue. So while cloud platforms are great, they're kind of a double-edged sword in that you have to be extra vigilant on-prem if you're going to go cloud as well. Right. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. And, and I know from our perspective on the legal side. Um, you know, we end up sometimes dealing with clients who have an issue with the vendor. Um, I know last year there were actually quite a few data breaches. Um, again, I think because of the pandemic, a lot of healthcare entities were just very focused on just trying to stay open and keep patient care safe. And thus, you know, some of their technical pieces were, were exposed and vulnerable, but there continue to rise um, you know, security breaches. And so from a legal mm-hmm. perspective, I think even to your point, James, about it's sometimes great that you think you've sort of offloaded the responsibility and the liability to a third party vendor. Um, but it's also critical from a legal standpoint that your vendor contract actually sort of explains who holds that liability, because some contracts, mm-hmm. right, aren't always client friendly in the sense that, somehow, some way they want to indemnify themselves mm-hmm. um, from the appropriate protections that they need. And I, I know that just a few things we look at in vendor contracts are, um, you know, what is, you know, does the vendor actually have a formal compliance program themselves, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you just sort of take for granted that somebody that says they're going to host an EMR, for example, is following all the right rules. And and unfortunately, uh, you know, you probably can expect that to some degree, but in the event they don't or something breaches anyway, um, it needs to be clear who's responsible for that because there can be Mm -hmm. some substantial sort of costs involved. 
And so I know I often look for contract language that references a national standard because it's helpful to me and it, it conveys to me they know what they're talking about. And I know in this new um, sort of bill that was passed earlier this year, number 7898, um, part of the definition of recognized security practices suggested but didn't require the following of NIST. Can you tell us a little bit about NIST and how you guys um, promote that particular standard in medical offices? Yeah, NIST stands for the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Um, they're a non-regulatory government agency, so they don't actually make regulatory policy, um, but they do advise on standards and a lot of different things. They advise in safety standards for like biotechnologies and medical offices. Um, they give advice as to security standards for IT and cybersecurity. Um, in our uh, in our industry, we use NIST standards to inform us as to how to make a good password, um, how to do good physical controls, how to um, do good network segmentation, what that looks like. Um, so these are just basic security guidelines that anybody can look up and see and see this is the baseline of what your environment should look like. Right. Good. And I think that, you know, again, when we look at various protocols and standards for telehealth and remote work, um, you know, this particular law doesn't require the use of NIST, but I've seen just on the data privacy side outside of healthcare, even that generally becoming kind of one of the more commonplace standards. Mm -hmm. So as you look to compare and, and do an assessment in an office, just to give our audience a sense, can you tell us in more detail, you know, what your assessment involves? I assume you're going on site, you're kind of going through this list and maybe your own, and then you know, mm -hmm. maybe where you often see some consistent deficiencies in medical practices. Yeah, so the the biggest thing that we do whenever we first go on a site, if a if a if a medical office or, or a hospital would contact us to do some sort of security assessment, uh, we would go on site and and run what is called a, a network detective scan. Um, we run it internally in the network. It, it goes out to every endpoint, every network device, and basically gives us a topographical map of what it looks like. Um, aside from that and all of that information, it also gives us uh, security standards. It'll tell us, you know, uh, which username hasn't been used or logged in for the past year. And if that's the case, why is it still around? Um, it'll tell us uh, users who haven't changed their passwords in over six months, which is also a, a, a violation of a lot of security compliance standards. You should be changing your passwords every 90, day, every 90 days minimum. Um, so there's a lot of things that uh, our initial scan can tell us. And once we get in there and actually dig deep into the reports and everything, we can uh, look at, for instance, a, a credit card machine that's in a gift shop in a hospital or something. And if that's on the same network as a, a medical terminal, then we'll be like, well, you they shouldn't be on the same network. We should probably segment that off. So anybody in the medical network or can't reach that machine and anybody swiping credit cards can't reach any of the medical data. Um, so there's a lot of things that our initial scan can tell us to do, and it kind of gives us a roadmap as to how to get them back into compliance. Uh, but the biggest things we look for, I mean, are, are your big ones, uh, physical security, um, making sure that your server room is locked, making sure that if you have filing cabinets with patient data, making sure that door is locked, making sure nobody can just lean around your monitor and see what's on your monitor. But that also goes into other compliance standards, like making sure your password is good, actually having a password age requirement that'll expire after a certain amount of time. Um, all of these different things and policies will kind of go into our overall security assessment after we, uh, you know, we run our auditing tool. Yeah, great. And I know that, again, you know, a lot of these things, you know, with respect to telehealth, I'll, I'll speak to just for a moment. So 
last year, the Office of Civil Rights sort of, you know, thankfully, honestly, we had a lot of great rapid adjustments to the pandemic, I would say. I, I know in our in our world, in the healthcare practice group, we were literally waking up every day and reading sort of new regulation. Um, but thankfully, it was there and made available. Uh, and one of those um, relaxations was the Office of Civil Rights telling uh, covered entities that they would relax enforcement on, you know, HIPAA obligations during the pandemic. And one of the reasons for this podcast, really from a timing perspective, is really just to recognize that that relaxation isn't going to last forever. So um, we're encouraging our clients to revisit telehealth. Um, again, we had a lot of clients who just sort of literally on the fly were picking telehealth vendors, mm-hmm. um, trying to just get the platform up and running. Um, but we need to circle back, right, and make sure that, you know, A, that we're comfortable with that telehealth vendor uh, from from not only their perspective in terms of secured PHI data that they're maintaining, mm-hmm. but also support policies that we have um, within the covered entities, right? And so what are the desktops, the you know devices that our folks are using when they deliver or they do a telehealth visit? Um, and mm-hmm. I know that that's an area too that you assist with um, at AtNet Plus kind of working alongside, here's what we identified through a technical risk assessment and then kind of mm-hmm. alongside the practice or their their, um, you know, legal counsel to draft policies um, to make sure mm-hmm. that the things that come to mind for me are a doctor's iPhone and iPad. Yeah. Um, you know, this notion of, you know, bring your own device is a very common um, workplace practice, meaning you use your personal device for phone calls, for emails, mm-hmm. whatever, but you technically have PHI maybe or company data on that phone. And so, um, you know, it's important for us to sort of circle back on those policies mm-hmm. as well and make sure that, um, you know, clients are using the results of their security risk assessment to identify any, you know, deficiencies or areas of vulnerability, um, and then circling back um, with policies to kind of enforce, this is how we want to handle this, this is where our, sec- you know, PHI is, and make sure that all that's secure. So, um do you, do you um, work alongside other, um, are, are there other people in that process that kind of uh, help you or give you guys guidance? Or do you have any thoughts on teamwork on developing those policies or suggestions? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way Adnet Plus works is I, I, we're, we're kind of a team whenever we tackle anything. Uh, so whenever we, uh, do a security risk assessment, you're going to have at least, you know, four hands in the cookie jar there. You're going to have the engineer, you're gonna have the person reviewing the security policy, and you're probably going to have a couple managers, um, just to make sure that everything is, uh, is copacetic with the policy and make sure everything that we say in the policy is accurate. And that all controls that we recommend are, are good substantive and will work. Um, so yeah, I mean, nobody really goes it alone at our company. Uh, we always have multiple pairs of eyes making sure that the, the security policy that we write is is correct. Um, and we, we basically stand by everyone we've ever written. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great. So uh, we gave you a lot of uh, kind of technical information, but hopefully, um, you know, for our audience today, we gave you some practical advice as well. Again, the timing of this is important. I think, um, you know, there's a lot going on. We're still in the pandemic, right? So I realize many of our audience members are just literally trying to, to, deal every day with with staying open and staying safe, which is obviously critical. Um, but don't forget security risk uh, assessments and tools and policies. Um, you know, we always say the breaches are not a matter of if, but when. 
Um, and so you just want to be prudent and have some type of security practice. Um, don't let it sit on the shelf. Don't let it be in a binder. Um, you know, take some steps at least to, you know, know that this is a work in progress um, and you'll never be done. Um, but at the same time, engage, you know, third parties, um, use technical people like AtNet Plus, um, you know, um, to, to help, you know, bring alongside their expertise on these components and make sure that your practice is compliant. So thank you, James, for joining me today and sharing your expertise. Thank you. Yep. And thanks for joining us as well on this episode of Healthcare Checkup. We thank you for your time. <laughs>